Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. So our church's tradition was to baptize all the sixth graders in an evening service on the Thursday before Easter. I watched those services every year, and each year I looked forward to being one of those lucky kids. Surely being baptized would give me the answers I was searching for. Then I'd be accepted by the God I'd always known of, but never actually knew. Finally, the day came and I could think about nothing else from the time I got up in the morning. I was going to be baptized. I would meet God. I'd be welcomed into, well, I wasn't sure what I'd be welcomed into, but I knew it would be just what I'd been yearning for all of my life. So it was, a, it was with a great sense of anticipation that I put on the baptismal gown, waded into the baptistry, and even though I was afraid of water, submitted myself to this life changing dunking. I went into the water. I came up out of the water and I stood there dripping while the pastor prayed over me. And I realized that nothing had happened. Nothing changed. The empty, hungering girl who went down under the water was the same as the girl who came up out of it except now I was wet and shivering and shocked by the thought that I had done everything right, everything I was supposed to do, but it wasn't enough. God had rejected me. This is an excerpt from a story uh, from the life of a woman right here in our church family. And, uh, and she shared this story with our leadership, and I, and I got permission to share it with you. And I, I wanted you to see that even as a young girl, she had put all of her hope in, into a, a good thing, right? This act of baptism, this moment, this religious act, and she put all her hope in this moment, changing her life, but it didn't. It didn't. And, and I wonder... I wonder if, if you can relate to her story. I wonder if there have been moments when you've hit like just a tipping point in your life and you're going, I, well, if I just go to church, then everything will be better. If I can just get that same shiver to go down my back during my favorite song, then I'll know that I'm closer. If I can just, if I can try hard enough, if I can do enough good things, then maybe I'll get the feeling, I'll get the acceptance that I've always really wanted from the Lord. The the problem with that is that it's not religious acts that change our lives, but rather it's something far more powerful than any religious work that you could ever do. And, And the problem is when we focus on the religious work, when we focus on the act, what we end up doing is we actually strip that moment of all of its power. Because there's no power in the act in and of itself. But rather, it's pointing to something greater. It's pointing to the greater reality of a God. That everything starts from. And everything finds their meaning within him. 
And until your eyes are opened up to that reality, everything is empty, right? Um, Singing songs is empty. Baptism is empty. Taking communion, it's empty. There's no power. There's no power in it because the power is not in the act itself. The power is in the one that it's pointing to, right? And when you see him and you see who he is and what he's done, everything changes. Absolutely everything changes. And so today, what I want to show you very quickly is I want to answer three questions about salvation, and then I want to talk about how understanding the gospel will actually, actually lead you to praise God in your own life. So as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you will open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, or you can click over there on your device, we are starting a brand new series today called Hope United. We're journeying through uh, the letter of 1 Peter, and so yeah, you came on a really, really good day. Uh, so you're here on the ground floor getting ready to go. Uh, Peter is the one who the Holy Spirit used to write this letter. If you're not sure who Peter is, he's one of Jesus' apostles, kind of one of the leaders uh, among uh, Jesus' group, and he wrote this letter to a group of believers believers who were living in Asia Minor. And one of the reasons that he wrote this letter to them is they were facing persecution for their faith. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear the word persecution for faith, I immediately go to being arrested, being tortured, having your home burnt, even being killed. And and that's true. Those are real forms of persecution. But the more study that I've done on the time period of when 1 Peter was being written, that really wasn't happening at a systemic level. Not yet. That comes later. There were a few pockets of that happening. But what the persecution looked like more is actually family members and friends shaming new Christians and actually trying to disempower them so that they would leave Christianity and come back to their old way of living, right? And so they were alienating them, they were isolating them, uh, they were abusing them physically, slandering, all those types of things. And the whole goal was that they would leave Christ and come back to their old way of living. And so the suffering that Peter is talking about really isn't the random mishaps that pop up in our lives, but rather intentional opposition from others specifically for their faith in Jesus Christ. And what Peter writes to them again and again in this letter is to hold on to their hope in Christ and to hold on together, right? To be united in their hope and to choose faith, especially in times of doubt. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And so I have a sense uh, that in this room, there are probably people uh, who are wrestling with that today, um, or you remember, or you know it's coming. And so I think this is going to be a really, really helpful series for all of us. Um, I do want to take just a quick moment, and I want to welcome you here today. Uh, If you're new here, if we haven't met, my name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors. I'm very, very glad that you're here today, uh, making your time to be with us at Lighthouse. I want to welcome those of us, uh, those of you who are joining at Bluffton Community, Maybe you're in Fostoria, uh, Living Hope, Lighthouse Online. We've got friends like out west. Um, We've got friends here in Hancock County. We've got some new friends uh, in Columbia, South America. So we're really glad that you're with us today. And um, yeah, it's going to be a really, really good morning. So before we go any further, I want to take a moment and I want to pray. And then we'll get into the teaching. So let's bow our heads. Lord, just being transparent with you, and and you know my heart, um, there's a level where, like, on the one side, I'm very, very excited to teach about what you have revealed through the first part of this letter, and at the same time, I feel um, really unequipped. Um, I feel like this is such a massive topic and such an important issue to talk about, and um, I just 
how do you use words to describe what you've done and what you've accomplished? And so I'm wondering if you will take uh, what has been prepared, if you'll take our time together that we're leaning in, we're expectantly wanting to hear from you through the scriptures, and, and you would use that for the glory of your name, um, and there would be uh, eyes open, my, my own included, to see you with, with greater clarity. I pray for those who maybe are here today just simply investigating who might this God of the Bible be? Who is this Jesus? Um, and that today would be a moment where they see you with greater clarity than they ever have before. Um, but out of anybody, we pray that you get all of the glory, uh, that, that our attention is drawn to you and not to anybody else. We, we long for that in this place today. We ask these things through the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. All right. Hey, we're going to jump right into 1 Peter. I'm going to start with verse 1 um, and read through a couple. You can follow along in the version that you have. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that, we have, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things in which two angels long to look. And so there, there's a lot of content there. And, and one of the first things that I want to, I think the question that gets raised out of this passage is this, is what is salvation? Because that's what Peter is praising God for. He's saying, this is, this is why God is worthy to be celebrated. He's worthy to be praised. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he caused us to be born again to a living hope, to be born again to an inheritance. And what Peter is saying is he's talking about salvation. That's what he's describing here. And salvation has three notions that are important to understand. The first one is this, is salvation is a rescue from harm. Because death is the consequence of sin. You have to know that death is an intruder. We, we were never made. We were never created to die. It's actually not a natural part of life. It's an unnatural part of life. And everybody feels that. We sense that. When somebody dies, we all go, wow, that's not right. 
We know that in the core of who we are. And so, so salvation is rescue from harm. Salvation is also a renewing of the spirit. Because one of the consequences of sin is we have this bent towards ourselves. There's this self-centeredness that comes with sin. And so there's a renewing of our spirit where self-centeredness is squashed and reduced. And we actually begin to live in a way where we begin to think about the Lord and we begin to think about others in a whole new way. Because there's a renewing of our spirit. And the third notion is this, is that there's a restoration of a healthy relationship with God. Because separation from God is the ultimate effect of sin, right? That's why we die. That's why we're self-centered, right? Is because we've been separated from God. And so salvation restores us to a healthy relationship with God. And, and Peter uses this word, born again. And, and that term gets thrown around a lot in our culture today. And so just very quickly, what that simply means in Peter's saying is that you're born a second time. Right? This is a spiritual birth. Um, this is a, a new way of living that's different from your old living. And I love that you see the words of Jesus echoed in the letter that Peter writes. Right, Because in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to see Jesus, and he says, you know, hey, I don't understand. How does somebody enter in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, oh, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, What? You know, how in the world do I enter into my mother's womb again? And Jesus is like, number one, gross. Number two, I'm not talking about that, right? And so you see Peter using that as well, right? You have to be born again. That this, this new way of life, this is a new way of life now, right? And so if you're born again, if you're, if you're a baby, what do you know? You don't know anything, you have to have other people help you. You need somebody to teach you. You need somebody to walk with you. It's the same thing as a, as a new believer, right? You need somebody to help you. It's a new way of life. And there's going to be moments of great joy and excitement because you're discovering things. And there's going to be moments of great frustration because you feel your old life tugging against you, right? With self-centeredness pulling at you. And so thankfully, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we say yes to Jesus, and he empowers us into this new way of living. But, but Peter says it's not only new life for now, but it's actually new life for eternity. Right? He says there's an inheritance that's waiting, and that inheritance is incorruptible, it's unfading, right? And, and it's something that we can count on. And so it's a new way of life now, but it's a new way of life for eternity. And so when you're thinking about salvation, when you say, what is salvation? Salvation is forgiveness for your sin and a healthy relationship with God. That's what salvation is. Salvation is forgiveness of your sin and a healthy relationship with God. And what happens is a sinner becomes a saint. The dead come to life. The enemy is adopted as a son or a daughter. That's what salvation is. Well, that begs the next question. Okay, if that's what salvation is, then how do, how do I receive it? How, how, how do I receive salvation? Well, the only way you receive salvation is through faith. By the way, sometimes we can say that, and, and we miss actually what's being said there. You can only receive salvation. You, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't barter for it. You only receive it. See, that's, this is what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, listen, blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who by his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Who's the cause? God. God's the cause of it. And so he's the first mover. And so what it is, is God puts this opportunity in front of us, and our response is faith. 
And faith is simply receiving what God has given to us. And so faith is trusting that what God has revealed about himself through the Bible is true, and faith is trusting that what God has revealed himself through Christ, revealed about himself through Christ is true as well. And faith is putting all of your hope on that, all of your weight, trusting that that's true, and that all of the implications that come out of that are true as well. This is a whole reorientation of life. See, P- Peter came to this place as well. Actually, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they're kind of like, well, some people think you're like reincarnation of Elijah. Some people think you're like John. You know, they have all these thoughts about you. And Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Simon Peter, the guy that wrote this letter, gives his response. Let's read this out loud together, starting with Simon Peter replied. Are you ready? Out loud, lots of joy, and go. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son. Yeah, that was Peter's reply. And Jesus says, wow, blessed are you. This wasn't revealed to you by man. This was revealed to you by God, right? And so Peter came to this place where he put his trust into Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of the living God, Right? That's, that's a game changer. And that's, that's where faith begins. And so you might be saying, okay, what, what, am I, what am I really putting my faith in? Well, Peter explains that too. Right? Again, you go back to chapter 1, verse 3. Peter is making a big deal about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, the reason we have hope, the reason we are born again, is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what Peter is saying is that the resurrection of Christ is the absolute central aspect of Christianity. You cannot get around it. You cannot bypass it. You can't ignore it. It's actually, that's the central thing. Later in the verses, he said, listen, prophets talked about it. And they wanted to know, when is this going to happen? And how is it going to come? And what does all of that look like? And then at the end of verse 12, he says, angels look eagerly. They want to know everything about salvation. They want to know everything about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're blessed because it's been revealed in your time. You've seen it. I walked with him. I saw him die, and I saw him raised from the dead and live again. And he's saying the resurrection of Christ, that is the central aspect of Christianity. Listen, I'm going to say something very, very clear, and I'm meant to do this on purpose. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you are not a Christian. Let me say that again. That's very, very important. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ literally, physically, spiritually rose from the dead, you're not a Christian. You you might be religious, and, and, and you might even be spiritual, and you might agree with things that are in the Bible, but you're not a Christ follower, and you haven't been born again. Because Jesus' resurrection is either the cornerstone on which you build your entire life off of, or it becomes the boulder under which you're crushed. There's no way around it, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the boulder in the middle of a river that the water has to deal with and goes around, right? And so I appreciate what Tim Keller says, and I think this is so helpful. He says this, if Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, 
then why worry about any of what he said? Right? And he says, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like Jesus' teaching, but whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. You see? It doesn't matter if you agree with what Jesus has to say. It doesn't matter if you like what he has to say. You go, oh, he's an amazing teacher. He's ahead of his time. He's a compassionate man. All those types of things. It doesn't matter because if he didn't rise from the dead, who cares? But if he did rise from the dead, then that changes absolutely everything. And so, how do I receive salvation? It's by putting my faith into what God has said about himself and what he said about Jesus Christ. It's trusting that the resurrection is real and true. And that leads to the next question. How in the world can I know that I'm saved? Peter points to one way, and I want to be very, very clear about this. This is one way to know that you belong. It's not the only way. So what I'm sharing is not exhaustive. But what Peter focuses on in this passage in verses 6 and 7, one of the things he says, he goes, one of the ways that you know you belong to God is when various trials come into your life, right? When you're facing suffering, when you're facing persecution for your faith, when, when somebody comes and tells you, you know, I don't know why you believe in that junk anyways, we don't do that in our family, you know, that's stupid, right? When maybe you get overlooked at work because of your faith, uh, when you have people isolating you, shaming you, abusing you because of your faith. P- Peter says when these different kinds of trials come up, what they do is they actually end up revealing where your faith really lies. Because when these come up, right, you either, you're, you're like, you retaliate and like, I'm going to put faith in myself. I'm going to slap you upside the head. I'm going to prove to you, right, God's real because he just used me, right, to slap you upside your head, uh, right? Or you go, I'm going to put my faith in Christ. I'm going to trust him. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to show, Jesus said, to bless your enemies with prayer, to, to pray for people who are persecuting you. God, I'm praying for them right now. I'm praying boulder lands on them. God, I pray, um, right? <laughs> but you bless those who hurt you. And, and so he says, when, when you go through those trials and you get through the end of it, and if you're found just clinging on to Christ, even if it's by a thread, he says, it's in those moments that you begin to find out that your faith is real. And your faith is genuine. And he says, when you, when you come to the place, when you realize that your faith is real and it's not made up, that's worth more than all the gold in the world. That's what he says. It's more, it's more precious than any other thing you could ever get your hands on. Because when, when you know that you have authentic faith, you're not wasting your time asking the question, well, I wonder if I'm saved, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved, am I saved? I don't know. And you, right? You're spending all your time doing that. But Peter says, no, when you know your faith is genuine, what ends up happening is your love for Christ grows. You don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him, but your trust is increasing. Right? He's not breaking through the clouds right in front of you, and yet your joy is deepening because of him. And so some of the signs of knowing that you belong to Christ is you love him more, you trust him more, and your joy is increasing because of him. And then just bringing in Paul, because Paul would say, you have to also, the Holy Spirit has to be in you. And the Holy Spirit's transforming you, he's changing you, right? All of those types of things. And so those are all, those are all signs that you belong to Jesus Christ. And, and then what Peter says is this, because this is where it all cascades to, right? Knowing what salvation is, knowing how to receive it, and knowing how do I know that I belong to the Lord. He says all of that cascades to this moment, and it really brings us to the question of what do I do with everything that Peter is sharing in the opening part of this letter. And I think it's this. 
Peter's telling us, praise God for his gift of salvation. That's the response of those who really belong to him, is to praise God for his gift of salvation, recognizing that it is a gift that God would even offer it to us. And we celebrate him for that. And you might be going, I'm not saying you're wrong, but man, that just really feels like a churchy response. Like, you know, like, come on, like, like what, I can't pay my bills. I'm supposed to praise God for his gift of salvation, right? Like my marriage is going down the tank and I'm supposed to praise the Lord for his gift of salvation. That doesn't seem real. It kind of seems, I don't know, it seems fake and Pollyanna. Let me tell you why Peter is telling us that one of the greatest responses we can do in any situation, is to praise God for his gift of salvation. You were created to praise God. That's what you were created for. Do you know that? You were made. You were made to praise the Lord. And in fact, all of creation was made to praise God, right? All kinds of scripture talks about that the sky declares the glory of God. The earth declares his handiwork. The trees, right? They clap and they applaud. Jesus said, if we don't cry out, the rocks will step out into our place and do it in our behalf. That there are angels praising God. There are creatures in heaven, Revelation says, that their job is simply to praise God day and night without ceasing. You have to know that all of creation's greatest purpose is praising the Lord. And it's interesting that it's humans that are the primary creature who struggle with this the most. All right? We refuse to praise God. We're the ones, right? And, and I've, I've been thinking about this. Do you, know, you know what kind of people struggle to praise other people? People who have deep insecurity. People who are very, very insecure about who they are, people who are very insecure about their value, struggle to praise other people. Think about it, right? Maybe you worked for a boss at your job who, who was always critical of everything you did. They never celebrated. They never told you a good job. They never truly, right, unless they were forced to, right? You know why they struggled to do that? They were insecure in their own role at work. They weren't sure if they were going to have a job tomorrow, right? Maybe some of you, you, have team, you, you are on a sports team and you have teammates, and, and they never tell you good job. They never tell you, like, great, man, way to go. You did it. You know, all that kind of stuff. What they do is they're, they're immediately critical about the things. Even though you won, right? They're critical about you missed this, you didn't do that, you didn't whatever. Why? Why? They're insecure. Maybe you were raised by an insecure parent, and the only thing they really needed to do was to encourage you to do more, work harder, try to be better. And you really didn't hear much in the way of praise or celebration. All of that stems from insecurity. Because the thought is, if I praise you, what about me? If I praise you, who's going to praise me? And if I lift you, because the one who's doing the praising actually lifts the other one up. And it puts them in a place that's a little bit lower. And so if you're already insecure, you're not giving that away to someone else. Do you you see do you see how insecurity plays in this? And so if you're struggling to praise God, here's what, you know what it might be? You may be insecure. You may be insecure about your identity in Christ. You might be insecure about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You might be insecure about the true value of what God has set on your life. Do you know what the value of your life is? The Son of God. 
that's the price that was put on your life, right? You don't have to be insecure about your value. You don't have to be insecure about your identity. If you're in Christ, if you're out of Christ, you have every reason to be insecure, right? But if you're in Christ, you have no reason. No reason, because God's already answered all those questions. That's why Peter says, what's the antidote to insecurity? What's the antidote to somebody who's struggling to praise the Lord? His answer is the gospel, the good news. Because when you walk through the good news, you go that God created everything, right? I'm made in his image. I chose to walk away from him in sin and self-centeredness, and I'm separated from him now. Jesus took my problem, made it his problem, and he solved it so that I can have a healthy relationship with God. And what's the natural response to that? Praise, celebration. Thank you, God. I know I don't deserve it. You're so you're great. You're awesome. You're wonderful. And you just find, when you, when you let the gospel come into your heart and into your mind and into your soul, you find the insecurity just melting away. Right? Before you know it, it's just gone. And when you praise God for his gift of salvation, do you know what actually ends up happening? Verse 7 talks about this. Verse 7 says that God ends up praising you. It's this weird verse that people don't know how to translate because they're going, what? what? I'm, I'm going to receive praise. I'm going to receive honor. I'm going to receive glory. How in the, right? I think that's the problem. The problem is I want praise. I want glory. I want honor. Isn't that the issue? And yet in verse 7, when I'm praising God for his gift of salvation, Peter says God is actually going to heap glory, praise, and honor on you. And I wrestled with that. I'm like, wow, that seems weird. And then, and then I was praying. I was thinking about it. It hit me. You want to know why the Father adores and glorifies and honors those who receive his gift of salvation? Because now you're in Christ, and the Father adores the Son, and the Father glorifies the Son, and the Father praises the Son. And so now you're in Christ, and when, and see, this is the identity change that some of us need, because when we look at ourselves, we see the, the measly little sinner who's really self-centered, and yet when God looks at you, and you're truly in genuine faith, he sees the righteousness of Christ plastered all over you. And that's, that's a game changer, right? And when you have the praise of the Father, this, this is so important. When you, have, when, you know, when you know you have the praise of the Father, the result is joy and rejoicing. That's what, that's what Peter writes. The result is joy and rejoicing. Because actually the praise of the Father will empower you to go through any trial, any suffering, any challenge that you go in your life because you know the Father adores you. You know that the Father loves you. Actually, I think this is one of the things that empowered Jesus to go through his ministry and his death, right? Was knowing that the Father loved him, the Father adored him, the Father praised him all along the way. And when you know that, what will happen is you know that you belong to God and that he belongs to you. And you will know that your suffering for being a Christian is not punishment. God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. Actually, there's glory and praise wrapped up in all of that thing. And when you know that your suffering for being a Christian won't have the last word, even if your life ends in dishonor because of the name of Christ in this place, guess what's waiting for you? An inheritance. Undefiled, imperishable, unfading. See, suffering will never have the last word in your life if you're in Christ because there's something greater waiting for us. And so very quickly, I just have a couple of moments. I want to talk to you. That's, that's why praising God for his gift of salvation is so critical. And I want to just very quickly talk about how do I do that? The first way is this, is you have to do what Peter's doing, which is focus on God. 
That's all he's doing. These first verses, he's just focusing on the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He's saying, it's God who chose you. It's God who knows what you're going through. It's God's mercy. It's God's gift. It's God the one who moved first. It's Jesus' resurrection. One day, he's going to bring you into his full presence in heaven. And so what Peter's doing, he's saying, listen, I know you're going through tough stuff. Don't, you don't need to look at that. Look at the Lord. Focus on him. Focus on what he's done. Focus on what he's doing and who he is. And so if you're going to praise God, it's got to be. You can't praise the Lord when you're focused on you. You have to have your eyes set on him. Here's the second thing. Just, you know what praise is? Praise is telling God how wonderful he is. That's it. Just tell him how, how wonderful he is. That's what we do when we sing here on Sunday mornings. I know some of you, like, you, you didn't know that. You're like, well, I just thought that was like the warm-up act for the teaching, right? Like, that's the opening act, and I can come or I cannot come. As long as I show up for the teaching, uh, you know, or something, then that's okay. But you actually know that uh, singing songs to God is telling him how wonderful he is, and he loves that, right? You can actually praise God through your prayer. You, you can do that. What, what if you did that? Think about that. What if the next time you prayed, you never asked for a thing? What if you just sat down and you talked to the Lord, and all you did is you spent time telling him how wonderful he is. You grabbed like one of his attributes, or one of his characteristics from scripture, right? Could be one from First Peter, that he's a savior, that he's a redeemer, and you just spend all of your time praising him for, for what it means that I'm saved, that I'm, I'm now out of death and I'm into life. I'm now out of darkness and I'm into light. I'm now walking hand in hand with the creator of the universe and praise him for all of the work that he's done. But praising is telling God how wonderful he is. And the last way you can praise God is tell others how wonderful he is. If you were here last week, you know Larry talked about sharing your story of how you came to faith. That's, that's praising the Lord. That's all that is, right? Because who's the hero of your story? By the way, if you're the hero of your story of coming to faith, you need to rewrite your story, <laughs> all right? Because Jesus has to be the hero of the story, right? He's the one who saved you. He's the one who's changing you. And so you can tell your story. Uh, you, can, you can tell others how, God, how great God is simply by telling what he's doing in your life, how he's moving you, how he's changing you. I did that a few weeks ago uh, in the moment where I shared with uh, Christina and I. We're out of sync. Remember when she admitted how wrong she was? Um, right? <laughs> and, and so, oh, sorry. Oh, she's here. Um, <laughs> so, so tell true stories about how God is moving and changing in your life. Or share a truth. Uh, about, what, uh, about God that you've recently learned. But um, praising God is just simply telling him and others how great and wonderful he is. And so I want to give you just one next step. Well, it's, it's one big next step, but there's two ideas below it. The next step that you might consider this week is doing what the prophets and the angels did. They searched, they examined, they looked intently into the gospel. And I would invite you to do the same thing. Search, examine, look intently into the good news of Jesus Christ. And in one way, here's a thought you might do. This is on the back of your blue card. It's online if you want to jump on with that as well, is you might join the first Peter reading plan. Now, the first Peter reading plan is this, is that you would actually read one chapter of first Peter each day. There's five chapters. You would read one chapter each day. So maybe, you know, Monday through Friday, you read and then whatever you want, Saturday and Sunday. But you would actually read first Peter each week through this entire series. If you do that, you'll read through 1 Peter seven times. Can you imagine how God would speak to you to just dive into a letter like that? This is an amazing letter. 
And so you might join the first Peter reading plan. The second is this, and we've made them available in the uh, Welcome Center, is there's a book that we have called What is the Gospel? It's a very short book, but it's very potent. Um, And it's one of the better books that I've read on explaining what the gospel is and what that means for you and me. And so we're actually giving that away for free. Um, we, uh, if, if you had a better pastor, there would be more copies here today, uh, but we couldn't get them in in time. So if you don't get one today, um, there will be more uh, next week and you can pick one up then. Uh, but those might be two next steps that you take. You can let us know on your connection card if you want to take those um, in, with you, but, um, or if you'd like to receive those. But listen, it's, it's the truth of the gospel that, that brings freedom. And um, I, I want you to hear one last excerpt from, uh, from this story. And, and it's actually, the story is uh, from our very first ministry assistant that we ever hired here, uh, Von Anderson, uh, shared her story with us. Uh, if you know her, you know we love her deeply, and uh, she's just a remarkable woman. And, and I love the fact that this story uh, happened decades ago. I won't tell you how many, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and, and yet when she tells it, if, if I can, can I be transparent for you for a moment? She's a part of our teaching team, and we, we went to read First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 together. And um, I don't know how, but Yvonne got selected to read it that day, and she got to maybe about verse 3 and just burst into tears of joy. And she's like, someone else is going to have to finish this out. And it was amazing. Like We found out the story later, and it's the fact that years ago, God used this. And today it's still deeply affecting her. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the good news. Listen to what she wrote. After I came home from camp, the high I'd experienced there quickly faded as I settled back into the familiarity of my home and routine. All the comfy, depressive thoughts I used to wallow in called me to fall back into them. But God had the antidote. Somehow, I have no recollection of how it happened. The Holy Spirit led me to a little book toward the back of the Bible called 1 Peter. It wasn't the first time I read it, but it was the first time I read it as if it were written to me. It described what I'd recently experienced and opened up in clear terms that blew me away. It showed me that I was now a part of the family of believers I'd been reading about all my life. See, it was a truth of Scripture that opened up Yvonne's eyes in a powerful way. And, and she is, if you want to receive, the, I've only read two excerpts. If you want to receive the rest of her story, mark that on your connection card. I'll email that to you tomorrow. We have permission, right? Okay, yeah, we do now. Uh, we have permission to send that whole story to you and you can read it. Uh, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing story of God's grace and his goodness. And, and I hope everybody, uh, whether you're here in house or you're joining us online, I hope you'll take it. But listen, you're, you're here because you're looking for hope. You're here because you're looking for something of substance, and you've got to know that you're not going to find it in the songs. You're not going to find it in baptism. You're not, going to, you're not even going to find it in the Lord's Supper that we're about to participate in in just a moment. See, the hope's not in the things. The hope is in the one that the things are pointing to. And if your hope is just if I can get a good warm feeling for an hour on Sunday and go get beat up back out the rest of the week, you're not going to make it. I'm going to make it. You need the constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is sourced by the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can only receive it by faith. That's it. There's no other way. It's in Christ alone.
I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'd like you to ask Jesus this one question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now through this teaching? And I want you to listen to him for a moment. not necessarily saying it's the Lord. I'm just saying that I I sense it right now, that it would not be right for me to pass this moment without giving some the opportunity to receive that gift of salvation right now. And so I'm not going to, there's no like emotional tug. There's no like nothing like that. I'm just going to ask you and, and you'll, you'll either respond yes or no, right? Um, and, and maybe what you might do, I don't know if this would be a good idea, maybe what you might do if you're here today and you're going, yes, I want to I receive this gift. I want to be able to praise God for his gift of salvation because I've received his gift of salvation. Maybe when I, when I ask you to, maybe you would just raise your hand so I could see your face and I could pray for you and I could know who I'm praying for and celebrating the work that the Holy Spirit's done here today. And so um, either, either you know you want to or you, or you don't know yet. And it's fine if you don't know yet. But if you know you want to, uh, just on the count of three, I'm going to ask you, just here in the house, somebody's looking around. This is between you and the Lord and me. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand that you're saying, yes, I want to receive the gift of Christ's salvation today um, in my life. And so on the count of three, one, two, three, just raise your hand here in the house if that's you. Anybody just slip it up? Anybody? Okay, great. Oh, yes, I see that. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Lord, you know. You know the hearts of people. You know, and whether they raise their hands or whether they don't raise their hands, it doesn't matter. You know hearts. And I'm praying that today would be a day of praise, of praise for those who already belong to you and the praise of those who said yes to you for the very first time. We thank you for the work that you do and that you accomplish. You're the first mover. We're the responders. We praise you for that. We love you. And as we move into this time of communion, we ask that you would, that this would not be a time of like some kind of spiritual litmus test, but rather this would be a moment of reminder that we are given by grace this amazing gift. And it's our opportunity to rejoice in it and to celebrate it. We love you and we worship you and we ask these things through Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.